Hello, this is Sailing Uncovered. I'm Alec Wilkinson, and this is episode 27. We're coming to you on a lovely summer's evening from Cowes on the Isle of Wight, just off the south coast of England. And it is Cowes Week, and that's why we're here. For almost 200 years, this has been on the British summer social calendar and sporting calendar as well. In recent years, some people have said, well, it's not quite what it used to be. But certainly the first few days have been pretty impressive. We've had royalty, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, that's William and Kate, uh, competing in the King's Cup. We've had a fantastic uh, Sail GP event uh, on the first weekend of of Cow's Week and that really attracted hundreds and hundreds of people but also you know we've got 600 boats here in all sorts of classes all competing out on the water so there's a fantastic atmosphere 16 nations represented by those boats and uh, well literally thousands and thousands of sailors mixing with holiday makers and tourists and the other thing as well that is great to see is that so many of the boats out on the water competing have two, three, and even occasionally four generations of the same family on board the boat. So it's, it is competitive, but it's fun as well. And it's a chance for people to get together. And, and that got me thinking, how do you help kids discover the sport of sailing, especially if you're really into sailing and you've done it all your life or you've done it for many, many years and you wanna get your kids or members of your family involved in sailing. And in a little while, we're gonna catch up with double Olympic champion Sarah Ayton uh, and find out what her tips are because she's going through that with her family right now. But first, a voyage of discovery, medical discovery in fact. Uh, it's a group of sailors and their mates who have swapped their sails for oars to go and carry out research in Parkinson's disease and post-traumatic stress. And they are doing some really fascinating stuff out on the water as they aim to cross the Indian Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean all in the same year. Hi, uh, I'm John Haskell, uh, ex-firefighter. I left the fire service uh, two years ago um, because of PTSD. Um, I've joined now uh, Monkey Fist Adventures. Uh, and my part in the crew is um, I'm joining a boat in Australia to row across the Indian Ocean. My name is Billy Taylor. I'm the skipper and organise the event along with Alex Mason. She's my rowing partner. So we will be rowing across the Atlantic Ocean between Lanzarote and Antigua in January. When we get there, we'll be shipping the boat directly over to Australia and then we'll be taking some of PTSD from Western Australia all the way over to Mombasa, uh, which will be a word first. No, no one's ever rowed from continent to continent across the Indian Ocean before. There are a load of firsts with this uh, with this voyage and, and we'll talk about those in a moment. But I think really that the kind of the headline um, for this voyage is the connection with Parkinson's and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Just give us an overview of that. Okay, so a very good friend of mine, Alex Flynn was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease when he was 34. Uh, like most people, I didn't have any sort of knowledge or in-depth knowledge at all of what the disease meant for people that were living with it. But we had some very frank and open discussions and the impact it was going to have on both Alex and his family. Uh, the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to do something to try and help. And I felt that it's something I could help with because exercise is a great way to help manage symptoms. So the rows are a way or a platform really for both Liz, who's coming across the Atlantic, and for John, who's coming across the Indian, 
to be able to talk about Parkinson's and PTSD. And we're also affiliated with Oxford Brookes University, who will be collecting research data into both of the conditions. And John, you've got experience of PTSD, you're an ex-firefighter. How did you get involved in this? I was lucky enough to put a campaign together a few years ago, and I rode the Atlantic. Um, it was quite a nice crossing, an old wooden boat that I refurbished from Swansea Maritime Museum. Uh, so when I seen this on the Ocean Row website, that they were looking for people, um, and obviously with what it is, is things, my, my nan died of Parkinson's disease, you know, so you, I think everybody's got a connection with Parkinson's. And then to see the PTSD connection as well, I just thought, wow, this is tailor-made for me. But it, it wasn't shortcut from there. I had to apply. Um, and obviously in the Ocean Rowing world and the adventure world, a lot of people wanted to do this expedition. So I had to apply. I was shortlisted. I went away on a weekend to see how I got on with everybody. And lo and behold, you know, to my great, absolute delight, I had a few sleepless nights and I was chosen to be part of the crew. Uh, and I'm really hoping, you know, I, I can and, and bring my skills and whatever I can bring to the crew. Uh, and as I say, f and to bring awareness even for PTSD, because um, I was never going to suffer from PTSD in the fire service. I spoke to people. I was never shy to talk. I would even cry as, you know, six foot one burly rugby player. Um, I would have a little cry after some job, so I would vent, so I never thought it would ever affect me. But the way it crept up on me and hit me for six was, was, was terrible. So I'm hoping bringing awareness of that can stop people having to go through that, get the earlier signs, get checked earlier and, and get healed instead of having to go through the whole process before you get fixed, you know? Um, so what were your symptoms? How, how did, what made you decide you had PTSD? What, what made you go and well, get a diagnosis? Well, to be fair, I was struggling for a little while. Um, it was some flashbacks for some jobs, um, but it happened in a brick crescendo after a, just one incident. Um, it was obviously all bubbling up for years, but I had an incident with a young kid. He'd been thrown around in the back of a car. We didn't have a seatbelt on. Um, it was a fatality. Um, I'd taken my boy to school in the morning and dropped him off to his mother because of uh, being divorced. Um, and the boy uh, was in the football kit the same as I dropped my son off. He was the same age, he had the same colour hair, and he was too close to home, and I, I basically broke down on, on the scene. Uh, but the brigade were fantastic, you know, the, the help is there, and I just want to say to people, even if you think there's a little niggle, you know, whether it's firefighters, combat veterans, uh, blue light workers, or anybody, you know, just, just talk, talk to somebody, talk to a professional, because... And, and, and this voyage isn't just about raising awareness, is it? There, there are some very specific experiments you're doing. Yeah, so last year I rode across the Indian with a chap called Robin Buttery, who also has young onset Parkinson's. And we went into Oxford Brooks University prior to the row. Uh, we gave information from during the row. And we went back again post-row. And they have, without going into too much scientific detail, the, the results that came back were very positive. Uh, one of the things was Robin's most pronounced symptom was a dragging of his left foot. Uh, it was pronounced enough that you could hear him coming, you could recognise his walk. He always says that he felt like he'd forgotten how to walk. And when you're out on the rowing boat, you don't get to walk anywhere. It's 29 foot long, there's big waves, so you crawl everywhere, you're rowing or you're lying down. But when we got to Mauritius, We'd been there for a couple of days and we suddenly realised that his limp had completely disappeared. And considering he wasn't walking, that we didn't really fully understand sort of like the, uh, why that had happened, the technique that he'd used. So, so you, you, he didn't walk for how many weeks? So, 70 days, so 10 so weeks. All, all 10, 10 weeks, 70 yeah. days. And then when you got to Mauritius, yeah. he, he was walking fine. He was actually walking better than myself and the other two, to be <laughs> fair. And we were joking around, we thought perhaps it's the Parkinson's that's allowing him to walk better, but it continued. He's not as quite as good now, but he's not doing as much exercise as he was when he was running. So Brooks are now looking at how 
I mean, the brain's an incredible thing. So there has to be some sort of transference in the you know, re regularity of the rowing stroke that's enabled him to walk better. Uh, and it's also gone in to discover that there's an issue with his mitochondria. So the mitochondria are what basically converts glucose, what we use for energy, into uh, something called ATP. When you have glucose, you need something to convert that into, say, a currency of energy. And that's called ATP, adenosine triphosphate, I think it's called, for those people who are interested. And normally for one glucose molecule, you'll get 32 to 34 ATP molecules. Uh, Robin was only producing two or three, so that had a massive impact on fatigue. But because they understood that or had a better understanding of it after the row, that meant Robbie could change his diet. So there's a lot in the sort of press and social media right now about the ketogenic diet. So rather than getting his energy from uh, glucose or sugars, he's now getting his energy from fat. So if he stops eating sugars and carbohydrates and just goes on to ketogenic diet, fatigue is a really big thing for people with Parkinson's. And it may not sound that bad, you get tired, you, but if you think about how it affects your work, your social life, your family life, it's a really big thing. So he's now doing a lot better on this new diet. And Liz, our Parkinson's row for the Atlantic, when she started training for this challenge, her PT instructor also put her on a ketogenic diet and she has come on in leaps and bounds. She's much, much better symptoms-wise than she was before she started. So you're working with Oxford Brooks University. Um, what sort of data do you know yet? What sort of information you're, you're <clears throat> going to be taking back for them? They take blood samples, they put us an exercise machine, they do VO2 max stuff. But I know for PTSD, they're looking at the differences between exercise indoors and exercise taken outdoors and in nature. And with John, they've taken blood, so they measure the feel-good hormones that you get when you exercise, but they also look at the cardiovascular system within the brain. You'll want to end up as friends at the end of the voyage because um, he's just bought him, John's just bought himself a boat uh, and you need to go and teach him how to sail it, don't you? Yeah, I was very lucky when I was 17 years old. I went away backpacking. Um, I had to go into hospital for a couple of months, so it really screwed up my ticket. But there was a boat, big old three-masted topsail schooner, going back from Australia to the UK. So I spent 18 months on that as a 17-year-old boy, travelling around the world, meeting different cultures. It was an incredible experience. So I know how to sail. John doesn't, but he has a yacht. So we're going to go and take it from the south of France and deliver it back to the John, an ex-firefighter with a yacht in the south of France. What's going on? Well, I, I've given up life on land. I've lived on a boat for the last year, a big old houseboat converted fishing trawler. But um, I, I love the ocean. The ocean was, you know, I have grew up on Barry Island, South Wales. Uh, the ocean is literally cursing through my veins, if you like. And the ocean was a big healer for me. Uh, I stood at the beach at my lowest point, toes in the sand, uh, any condition, storms, winter. I just loved the ocean. So the next step for me was logically to live on it too. So uh, I managed to pick up this lovely old boat and I did it up. Um, sold that this year now. And the boat I wanted, uh, the only one I could get is actually in the south of France. So being a bit of a novice sailor, uh, Billy's going to come on board, hopefully before he sets off on his Atlantic row. And we've got to get it back from the south of France, the UK, and uh, that'll be my home then. So it does sound a bit extravagant, but uh, it is going to be my house. It's not, uh, it's not a toy, you know, it's, it's just where I'll be living. So, Billy, if, if your relationship with the ocean started you know, through sailing, um, what made you switch to rowing? 
Uh, no one will pay me to go sailing, unfortunately. It'd be lovely to pop across the Indian Ocean on a yacht with a gin and tonic in hand, but people are quite reticent to, uh, to give you money for that. But mainly it's because we're trying to promote the use of exercise for both PTSD and Parkinson's. It's a fantastic way to uh, manage symptoms with both of the conditions. So again, I feel that if we're on yachts going across, you would still have uh, a mental health uh, benefit from doing that because being out on the ocean full stop is uh, such a fantastic place to be and surrounded by nature it's a slower pace of life that I believe it would help people with mental health issues but to really drum home the uh, the benefits of exercise by having both John and Liz on board and uh, when we did the Indian Ocean Row last year Robin Buttery I think I explained before his most pronounced symptom was a limp and when we got to Mauritius, that limp had completely disappeared. So the benefits of exercise are undeniable. So having them rowing 12 hours a day, flogging them, making sure they're keeping, <laughs> keeping up with the beat is, uh, yeah, it gives us a platform to help promote that. So let's talk a little bit more about the, the Two Ocean Challenge. You're going for a, a couple of firsts. Yeah, so Alex will be taking part in both of the crossings. So she'll be the first woman to do two oceans in one year. Uh, we're looking to try and set a speed record for a mixed crew going across the Atlantic. Liz will be the first lady with Parkinson's to do an ocean crossing. And then no one's ever rode from continent to continent over the Indian before. So there's quite a few world firsts available to us in there, just as long as we can make it across. It's quite difficult to find firsts to do nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much everything's been taken, but it was a we're trying to raise awareness and the more attention we can get from the media the better it is for us and the wider the story will be spread and one of the things we're really trying to do is by having Liz on board and having John on board it's you know if you're diagnosed it doesn't mean the end of an active and fun lifestyle so the more we can get in the press the more people pay attention to us the better it is for us and obviously by breaking records and taking world firsts that makes us a more attractive story so that's why we've gone for that. But how are you preparing for it? When do you go? And you need cash, don't you? We do, yeah. So we're still looking for corporate sponsors. We're doing okay at the moment, but it's not just cash we're looking for. It's services and products and food costs an awful lot of money. We have to take a lot of that over. Uh, shipping of the boat is also quite expensive flights, but we're going for corporate sponsors as well to help financially. So right now, everyone asks for training. We're just eating a lot, really. You lose a lot of weight when you're going over. Uh, you expend something like 10,000 calories worth of energy a day when you're rowing for 12 hours, but the body can only take on six to 8,000 calories. So while you're out there, you're always going to be running at a deficit. So we try and bulk up before we go. You probably don't have to be as fit as you think. Uh, you just It's probably 90% mental, 10% physical. So once you've gone, you can, it's not like you can get off. You just have to deal with it. Well, interesting what you've said about fitness, because I think most people would think, crikey, you've got to row all that way. You've, you've got to be fit. You've, you've got to be strong. Um, John, you've gone through it. Um, what are the mental difficulties then that you've got to face? Well, to, to be honest, the big one I remember, apart from obviously the hardships, was miss, I had two young children at the time. And it's been, it's been fantastic because it's, it's defined who they are now. They're adventurous. They want to travel the world. So I was a bit of an inspiration to them that was great. But the, missing them was my biggest mental challenge. Um, the isolation. Um, it's waking up every two hours for your shift, looking out the hatch, and it's the horizon. And then the horizon, the horizon, and you see the horizon. And it was, it was awful. It was literally water torture. Um, we'd, we'd jump in the water and swim away from the boat just to see colours on the horizon, literally. So what about your relationship with, with the other people on the boat? Does, how important is that? 
Well, to be honest, uh, this will be a different dynamic again, which I'm looking forward to seeing how it's going to work. Because in my last boat, it was just a pairs. And it was basically two solo rowers in the same boat. Uh, because we were so exhausted, we, did, we never socialised together. We literally, we would change over at shift. Uh, I'd see Jamie at change a shift. He'd see me at change a shift. I'd get in the cabin, he'd get out the cabin. We were met with a, how was it? And it was oh, just a grunt because you just know it's going to be awful. How was it? Like, so, the, but the relationship wise. You're really selling this to uh, me. <laughs> but relationship wise is fantastic, you know? And like me, me and Jamie now, and, he, and he'll say this, we were, we were good work colleagues, but it, it, we, we were never best mates that you would drink coffee every day and see each other every day. So if something did go wrong, you're not going to lose one of your bestest mates in the world, you know? Uh, and there was that dynamic of it, but it's going to be interesting with the four to see how that's going to work now and actually rowing uh, with somebody. I'm looking forward to that. We're rowing as a, a mixed crew, so there's two guys, two girls. To try and keep the speed up, we'll have a guy and a girl mixed together. Um, I, we don't really know what it's going to be like, to be honest. We don't know each other that well, uh, but I think that's quite good in some respects. I did a row before where I met the crew literally the night before we left, and because you don't know each other, you have lots and lots to talk about. But you can socialise, which is the big difference when you're only rowing as two of you. So for me, some of the best times were when you had a pair out rowing, but the conditions were good enough, you could have the hatch open so the two were inside the cabin. You could have a conversation between all four of you. And definitely, without doubt, the best way to get across is with humour, because you're in this wonderful opportunity, a privilege really to be out on the water. Not many people are going to get to do that. And if you can't talk to the people you've done it with when you get across the other side, it seems like a real waste. So you're living in a pressure cooker environment, so sometimes tempers are going to get frayed. It's how you deal with that when, you, when it happens. But, I mean, we're all all right. I used to be a firefighter. One of the guys doing the Atlantic is a firefighter. John's an ex-firefighter. We've got a paramedic on board as well. And I think you all have that same kind of humour to deal with the kind of thing John was talking about. So... I, I really look forward to it. It's a great way to um, to get to know someone, <laughs> that's for sure. Cool. Well, very best of luck to you both. Um, you set, uh, I was going to say you set sail, but you no, don't. You, uh, uh, what do you do with a rowing boat? You set off yeah. um, in January 2020 yeah. uh, from... We go from Lanzarote. We're hoping yeah, to leave on the 4th of January, uh, weather dependent, and then we'll get over 20, uh, 35 to 45 days later. And how do we follow you? Uh, if you go to the website monkeyfistadventures.com, then you'll find uh, we've got a yellow brick tracker, so you can actually track our progress as we go across. It updates every four hours. Uh, we're on social media as well, so Facebook page, Monkey Fist Adventures. We've got a Instagram account, which is underscore Monkey Fist, everything Monkey Fist. <laughs> and we'll share it all on our um, Sailing Uncovered podcast, Facebook page, Twitter account, uh, the whole lot. So um, we'll keep in touch. And uh, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you very much, Thank Alec. you very much. And if you want to get an idea of some of the conditions, vomit-inducing conditions that they're going to face out uh, on the Indian and Atlantic Oceans whilst they're rowing, uh, then go to the monkeyfistadventures.com website, uh, which Billy was talking about just then. Uh, and there's a video on the homepage that gives you a pretty good idea of how terrifying it can be at times. Um, and wonderful as well, because uh, I'm sure the calm, peaceful moments, especially in night, at night, with the phosphorescence and maybe uh, accompanied by the dolphins and the wildlife must be absolutely fantastic so uh, very best of luck to them let's move on now and let's take a little walk down the quay 
One of the many activities going on at Cows Week this year is the Land Rover Sailing Experience and it's all about getting kids aged 8 to 18 out on the water, um, some of them for the very first time and hopefully getting them hooked uh, on sailing. And uh, Land Rover have uh, got Sarah Ayton, double Olympic uh, champion, down to help with the coaching. Um, Sarah, thanks for talking to us. Thanks for making time. I know you're sort of in between uh, coaching sessions. Um, it's just great to see see the kids get involved. And I'm, I'm seeing them go off a little bit nervous sometimes, and then I'm watching them come back, you know, an hour later, and they are pumped up with adrenaline. They loved it. Yeah, it's lovely to see, isn't it? And I sense the same thing. As soon as they uh, they step on the boat, everyone's a bit quiet. Uh, and then obviously in the RS Cat particularly, um, sails up, um, put the bow down and send it and <laughs> you know that they're soon lit up and absolutely um the adrenaline's pumping um you know the sprays coming through the trampoline they're getting soaking wet um having a, a wicked time and and then of course you get them on the helm and again they look at you as if they say you crazy <laughs> uh, and then you know sailing is complicated but actually if you uh, keep it simple i put them on a reach and um tell them where to point and be on the main sheet just in case uh, we have any hairy moments um they're in control and again you just see them completely lit up and loving the experience so yeah it's really wonderful and um, I'm big on that just creating the opportunity I was really fortunate like come from a non-sailing background parents don't sail mum can't swim and my dad has no interest in boats um, so your mum actually can't swim yes you can't swim they got they got no idea you know and um, but what they were really passionate about is uh, you know getting my brother and I to have a, a hobby having an interest um, and so we just went up to our local sailing club, Queen Mary Reservoir. Um, which, which is on the outskirts of London, so yeah. miles away from the sea, miles away from any lakes. Um, uh, so it just goes to show, you know, you can be in a landlocked part of, of the world and, and still sail. Absolutely, and it's just that you just you just need that opportunity. So, you know, what Land Rover Jaguar are doing this week is, is wonderful, creating that opportunity. Um, and, you know, in our sport, because we've done quite well at Olympic level and and so on, there are then there's good places for kids to go and to continue um, at a quite affordable, you know, quite affordable rate, a sum of money. So, yeah, hopefully this will drive um, our next generation of champions. Now my son starts, funnily enough, at the Queen Mary, starts his, his sailing career um, very soon with, some, with his very first lessons. Um, but how, how as, a, as a parent, should you approach that? You know, should, should you, especially if you are a sailor and you're a keen sailor and you want the whole family to, you know, one day join you on, on the boat, what's the best approach when they're just starting out? You know, I think it's just... Uh, in from my experience, you know, I've got two boys, um, Thomas, who's 10, and Oscar, who's 7. Um, and I've been big on just trying to, um, you know, ignite some sort of interest in something. So we've tried everything, literally. We, we do everything. Um, and from my experience so far with Thomas, especially he's 10, it's just about having fun. And um, I think if you want your children to, to carry on doing something, in my experience so far, it's about the friendships they make, um, being in a really kind of safe environment. But ultimately, just that, you know, having fun, being able to jump in, um, be able to, you know, after sailing, tear around the clubhouse, um, 
have a jolly good time and for me that's what it's about and sailing clubs creating an environment where the kids want to go at the weekends so you know mum and dad can go sailing and and the kids can have a really good time you know and that whole relationship then just evolves and we see that at cows week here you know there are boats out there that are sailing with three generations of the fa same family on the same boat and how wonderful is that you know grandparents um, children and and all their offspring so it's, it's, a, it's a really you know it's a great sport for that and likewise you can be on the start line with um you know a family with three generations and you can be racing against some of the olympic or america's cup sailors so that's pretty unique as well so how do you then turn them into olympic champions well this is a good question isn't it and uh, i have to really um i have to kind of have a word with myself at times because you know i have been successful through my sport and um you know, it's not all about Olympics, um, and I'm quite cautious of that. I don't want to be a pushy parent, and, you know, I'd, I already sense, actually, with Thomas, he maybe feels a bit of pressure um, because he's surrounded by success, you know. Uh, for me, I suppose I see now Thomas is 10. He's you know, he's really driving, let's go sailing, can I go sailing at the weekend, can I do the nationals, I really want to get into the world's team, and, um, you know, he, he's a boy on a mission, he knows where he wants to get to, um, and so then, now as a parent, I think, well, um, I have to try and help him on his journey, in terms of maybe apply a bit of the the techniques, a few of the techniques that we learnt in Olympic sailing, um, but in a very basic way. So, for instance, we've just come back from the Nationals. He finished, I think he was top sort of 30 um, in his fleet, which is really good. He's 10. He was racing against 12-year-olds, um, 130 boats, really good. But he was obviously really disappointed. <laughs> he wanted to be in the top, he wanted to be on the podium. Everyone likes to get a trophy, right? Um, and so for me it's about really trying to manage his expectations because he's got a long journey ahead of him and how I can support his learning so that actually over the winter we have a really good um, winter training program. Sounds full on already doesn't it? Um, but we break down his program from starting so you know if it's cold and rubbish weather. Uh, sorry I, I love the way you say it. I, I don't want to be a pushy parent <laughs> but in his winter program. <laughs> yeah but it, it's just actually but the most important thing is just to set some goals right really simple goals like finish top 30 this year at the nationals okay so let next year you're going to be a year older let's aim for top 15 um, you know and that's a really realistic goal it's achievable and for that therefore we need to go and work on the following things and you know present Thomas with the program you know how's your tacking out of 10 how's your driving out of 10 how's your decision making um, how's your fitness and just ask him the question so that he can fill in 1 to 10 where are you 10 looks like top 15 um, where are you on that scale so then all of a sudden he can see oh right so if I just bring up my tacking that's currently on a 5 if I bring that up to a 7 throughout the conditions I'm going to probably achieve my goal so um, yeah we're going to just up the game a little bit but most important thing for me is just so that we don't have to deal with this huge disappointment and being disengaged with the sport because you know I'd hate for him to lose the, the passion the energy um, for, for his sailing and it's important for the sport to well A get kids uh, give them that experience initially and then B try and keep them in the sport as well when when they get to I don't know teenage years when there seems to be a, a big drop-off 
yeah. uh, in, in competitors? You know, it's just a balance, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I have been privileged. I've been able to go and follow my dream and win two gold medals. And actually, you know, you have all the resources to make that happen. But reality is, you know, um, I'm one of very few people that have been able to do that. And as a kid, you know, you've got your exams. You, you know, he's already next year, year six, will have his stats. And then GCSEs, A-levels. Um, and there has to become a bit of a balance. And that's a real grown-up lesson, isn't it? I think... Even now, as a grown-up, I struggle with that, that word balance between doing the things you love to do and actually sitting down and doing some work. <laughs> and um, I think... Or, or indeed, um, stopping doing your work and going and yeah, occasionally exactly. enjoy going to do what you enjoy exactly. doing, yeah? Absolutely that. And so, therefore, it's again another really grown-up lesson, isn't it, that when we get, as they kind of go through their teenage years, that it's important to carry on doing the things you love to do, um, to schedule in some break time out of your studying it's also grown up but it's life skills that you learn isn't it and actually we want to keep the children into um, or the young adults into sailing so therefore we just need to put some structure around how they manage their GCSEs alongside doing the things they love to do. Uh, for those who are listening in other countries GCSEs are exams you do at 15 and 16 mm. in in the UK and A levels you do at 18 and and that kind of decides your university and and I suppose that that's the point really you know your whole future is sort of mapped out academically isn't it by your schools and your colleges and your university and so on but everything else isn't mapped out you've got to try and somehow fit it in yeah and you've got to think oh, a great one about thinking big you know like what do you want outside of your your academics what do you want to do and uh, that's really important to think about that like whether it's i want to be a, a national champion i want to be an olympic champion or i just want to enjoy my sport recreationally actually you just have a think about what that looks like and uh, it's important to yeah run that alongside your studies um, but yeah be really creative and bold and courageous in in where you want to go with the things that you love to do you got gold in uh, in athens and in beijing in the yingling class um so you're very much olympic centric mm -hmm. um but there's a whole world out there of careers within yachting and yeah. and you just have to look out at what the 600 odd boats that are competing here at cows week in in the different classes um and there are professional sailors in all sorts of different roles doing all sorts of different things that's it, and actually, and, and like you say, the, the broader, broader as well. It's all the other things that surround. You know, we're we're here with Land Rover, and you know, along with that is a marketing team and sponsorship managers. Um, you know, with our team sailing, there's physios, um, strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, there's so many career options. I think that sit around you know our sport, but every sport. Um, so it's you know it's it's important to have those things you love to do, and then you know like you say, build your career around it. But sailing, you know, you can be any shape or size any age and like you say on the boat there's always something to do for for everyone whether it's up the front being nimble on your toes pulling things up and down making everyone look good or whether it's in the middle of the boat you know where the strength is needed to trim the kite or at the back where let's be frank you really get to do not very much but get all the credit and that's the steering role <laughs> <laughs> well um there's a, there's a bunch of very excited uh, 10 year olds waiting for you so i'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you get out on the water and uh, and enjoy it what what's what's your kind of the tip you always give them when they're out on the water for the first time 
the tip I always for the first time today will be saying this little RSK is blowing 15 knots so it'll probably be to hold on tight <laughs> to be honest um, but to make sure you I think the biggest one is to be dressed in the correct gear because it will be wet um, and you know no one likes getting wet and cold so make sure you've got the right gear on I think that's probably my biggest tip because if you've got the right stuff on and then you'll, you'll enjoy it because you won't be cold and wet and just generally miserable so, yeah and just be brave okay well that's almost it from sailing uncovered uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in cows now looking out across the Solent it is a beautiful summer's evening the Sun is beginning to set all is calm and I have to say um, we it has not been like this all week we've had almost gale force winds on a few days uh, that has wrecked a few boats and caused a few injuries but We've also had some glorious sunny weather and this evening is one of those evenings. Right, we've had a, a bit of a break uh, over the last couple of months on Sailing Uncovered, uh, but we will be back very soon uh, with a special on the brand new sailing event that's coming to the 2024 Paris Olympics, the mixed two-person offshore keelboat event. What's it all about? How do you qualify? How do you take part? How are they going to televise it? It goes on for days. Where are they going to race it? All sorts of questions like, why don't we just stick with the fin? And all that sort of stuff. We'll be asking those questions to the people who know the answers at the very top of world sailing and also to a very young sailor who now, as an offshore sailor, is looking at Olympic gold. So exciting times for her. Uh, meantime, make sure you uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We um, have loads of videos, loads of news on those two platforms coming to you all the time. But for now, from me, Alec Wilkinson, it's goodbye. <laughs>